Hey, Fedheads. Welcome to episode number 150 of Sharing Our Pairings. This is our 150th episode, if you can believe that, unless we miscounted somewhere along the line, but I'm pretty sure we're on point. Um, sorry for the ad that I accidentally played at the beginning there for a hot second. Um, I'm your host, Trip. We're here smoking the Davidoff Year of the Snake from uh, 2013. Uh, so grab yourself a cigar and a drink, watch our little intro, and we'll... And we're back here on uh, Sharing Our Pairings, episode w- number 150. I'm your host, Trip. here with my co-host, Dennis. We're broadcast around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network, uh, live on YouTube, oh no, live on Facebook, uh, and of course available on uh, YouTube or your favorite podcast catcher. Sorry, I'm a little burnt out because we just did a show. We're doing back-to-back shows this evening, um, so my brain's a little bit more tired than it usually is. But like I said in the intro, we're here smoking the Davidoff Year of the Snake. And, dude, this, this is a beautiful cigar, man. It's a sexy um, band, too. I really like that secondary band. Yeah, I think they did a really good job with uh, with all of the Year of the Chinese Zodiac uh, bands. I think the, it's a really cool theme to make the cigar around. I'm and this size, for the, me, uh, is just insane. I love... This size so much. Me too. This size is a classic Churchill, um, which, if you're not familiar, means it's 48 by 7 inches. Um, let me get get my notes pulled up here. Not so the those crazy here, 60 ring gauge monsters, huh? <laughs> yeah, I really like a 48 ring gauge. Yeah, um, yeah, me too. Like, whether it's 6 inches or 7 inches, I, I really like 48 ring gauge. I'm still dropping some frames. I apologize for the, all of our... Uh, live Facebook viewers. It seems like it just kind of locks up for a second every once in a while. Um, all right, so we'll start off by talking about the cigar a little bit. Uh, this is the year of the Zodiac release for 2013, which was the year of the snake. The previous year of the snake was 1988? 80, no, 1989. I think, was yeah. the previous year of the snake. Um, and they've kind of, since 2013, 13. I think this was actually the first one that they did. Um, if I remember correctly for their year of the Zodiac collection. Uh, I don't think they had one in 2012. It is a, a kind of special cigar. It pulls in a lot of elements from some of their special, their more special cigars. Uh, so the wrapper on here is Ecuadorian Habano 702, which is the same wrapper that's on their 702 series. Uh, what they say about that wrapper is that it's they call it a a proprietary wrapper, but I'm not really sure how proprietary <laughs> it actually is because they just say that it's Ecuadorian Habano that's specially selected and fermented especially for Davidoff. Um, so I don't I don't know what exactly that entails. The binder is Dominican San Vicente Seco. Uh, the fillers, which are uh, I'm I'm looking forward to. Like I can already taste the Poloto Cubano in here. It's got Poloto Cubano, Seco, and Viso. Um, San Vicente Lajero, and a hybrid 192 Seiko. I'm not sure what the 192 means exactly, but that's from Yamasa, which uh, it, I don't believe it's the same wrapper that's on the Yamasa, but it's from the same farms. 
Uh, and the whole thing with that is that it was a, it's a very, it's tradi- it's known as like a really difficult place to grow tobacco in the Dominican Republic. And they decided that they would try to figure out a way to do it. So they, they did all this crazy scientist stuff. Like they ended up, um, they had scientists determine exactly what the pH of the soil needed to be. And then they went and they, um, they didn't detail exactly how they did it, but they went and adjusted the soil for each particular plant, every plant in the field. Uh, they went and, and did something with the soil. I don't know if they injected some, some acidic liquid or some basic liquid. Which is nuts, right? That they went to that level of detail. That they went to that level. Um, and then for the, I mean, this could be the same tobacco that's in the wrapper for the Yamasa. I know with the Yamasa, they said something like, uh, 15% of the plants or something like that were good enough for it. Um, and so this may be from that wasn't deemed good enough for their, for wrapper quality, since it's obviously in there as a filler. What do you think of the cigar so far, Dennis? It's really interesting. The Piloto Cubano really comes out as soon as I lit it. I could immediately smell it. And it's got that really distinct funk to it that I absolutely love. Yeah, I am. Um, we were actually just talking about it. We just finished our show with Robert Holt. Um, and I was smoking the Rose of Sharon, which also has a little bit of Peloto Cubano in it. And I was saying how in that one, the Peloto Cubano kind of comes through as a, um, a meatiness. And in Davidoff, I'm used to it being more of like a mushroom flavor. And in this one, it's kind of in between, I feel like. It's not quite that like clean, soft, like uh, cream of mushroom soup kind of flavor. It's more of like a meatier, like grilled mushroom kind of flavor to me. But I mean, that could be my imagination. I don't know. But that's what I taste in it. And then it's got a little bit of spice, a little bit of uh, like a woodiness, I think. <coughs> There's definitely a strong wood, <coughs> which is actually why I'm <coughs> coughing, but uh, there's definitely a strong wood to it, and it's really, it, it's kind of like, it's not subtle, you know? Yeah, th- this is elegant, not but it's got a kind of kick to it that I really like. Yeah, so, and that reminds me uh, of another thing from my notes. Uh, according to the Chinese Zodiac, people born during the year of the snake are said to be wealthy, intelligent, and sophisticated. And that's kind of what Hanky Kellner was going for when he uh, was blending this cigar. He had that in mind. And I think, like, I don't know if you could make a Davidoff that's not sophisticated. Because <laughs> uh, that's just kind of their jam. Um, they just kind of make really elegant cigars. And this is, this is no different. But it's a little, uh, a little more flavorful than I was expecting. Oh, definitely. Definitely for me as well. Especially right on the back of, uh, we just smoked another cigar, so uh, I'm getting a surprising amount of flavor out of it. But this isn't a cigar review. This is a pairing show. So I'm going to get into my first pairing here. And I changed the order purely because I I was going to go in a certain order here, and I don't want to talk too much about my second and third pairings yet. But I was expecting this to be the sweetest, so I was going to put it in the middle. Um, but the one that I had first was is simply too hot to come before this one. Um, so this is Ohishi. Let me see if I can get it. Oh, did it freeze there for a second? That was weird. Um, this is Ohishi Whiskey. 
cask type sherry you'll see there at the bottom. Um, so this is a really interesting whiskey. John actually had it on the show a couple weeks ago when he was guest guest uh, hosting on the was it I think it was the uh, Adam Barry? episode. Yeah, with Barry. Um, so Ohishi is found. So if if you just watched that episode, this might seem a little repetitive. Um, but I'm going to go over it anyway for anybody who's not familiar. Ohishi was founded in 1872, and it's been family-run for five generations. Um, they distill whiskey, but they're primarily known for making sake and shochu. Uh, they're located uh, in su- southwestern Japan uh, in the village of Mizukami. The really interesting thing about this that I'm really looking forward to trying is it is distilled entirely from rice. 100% rice went into this. 30% of that rice is rice that is grown on their farms. And it, I think it's three different varieties, none of which I can pronounce. And then the remaining 70% is mochi rice. Mochi rice, if you're not familiar, is uh, it's typically used as like a candy rice, <clears throat> which is, it sounds weird, but it's like, it's really starchy. It's really sweet. And it's uh, when you when you boil it, it gets really really soft. And so what they do is they smash it, and it's got a lot of like uh, I'm not sure exactly what the structural makeup of it is, but it's got a lot of uh, like binding agent kind of stuff. So when you smash it up, they kind of use these. Uh, if you've ever seen what is that? What is that like? Uh, was it the hand process with the? Is the it wooden... mafungo thing I'm thinking of where they have like the wooden? <clears throat> It's like a wooden uh, mortar and pestle. Yeah, I've seen I've seen mochi made that way, just but like a giant that, one. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how they make mochi. They have like this giant thing, and they smash it up in in a bowl, basically, and you end up with this paste that's kind of uh, it's almost like Jello in consistency. It's very like sticky and gooey. And in Japan, they actually make like gummy bears and stuff like that out of that. Um, and if you've I mean, this might be something that most people haven't done, but if you've ever gotten ice cream at like a Japanese restaurant, it has like that gooey outer layer. Um, so you have like these little balls of ice cream yeah. that have like a wrapping of gummy stuff around it. It's my that's my jam. Mochi. I love that stuff. That, that stuff on the outside, that's all mochi, um, which I, I think is really cool. I'm a big fan of mochi. <clears throat> Uh, interestingly, they use koi fish in their rice patties for weed control, which oh. I think is, is really interesting. And like, Kinda like elegant. going out there. Yeah, exactly. Like going out there and seeing rice patties that have koi fish swimming around, which I mean, in the U S people pay hundreds of dollars for koi fish yeah. <laughs> and there they just use them as pest control almost. Um, and because it's distilled from rice, it ends up with a way lower proof. It goes into the barrel at 46%. And then each batch comes out at a slightly different percentage. I think uh, the batch that John had was 40 point something. This is actually 42.3%. And let me hold up the glass here. I mean, it, it looks like whiskey. It's got like a dark golden amber color. And, man, it just smells all sherry. It smells like sweet, sweet sherry. So about your first pairing? I want to take a couple sips of this. I love sherry you know, cask like, anything. Well, and so that's another thing that I forgot to mention. So a lot of um, one of my whisk, one of my scotches coming up 
is finished in sherry casks. This spends its entire life in sherry casks, and they don't disclose how old it is. Um, so I'm not, I don't know how, how long they age any of it. Um, but I would guess that it's at least a couple years to be able to get this much sherry influence. Um, I, I just couldn't find any specific information on how old the whiskey was. So what's your first pairing? He My said first it, pairing right? is what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just said it right as you took a sip. My first pairing has is actually something that I've had uh, for a long time, and that's always been kind of my my secret stash, uh, sort of special scotch that I run to, um, and I'm obsessed with it because it's so weird and different for me. Um, and it is, and hopefully I don't butcher the name, but this is Glenmorangie, and this is the Milshun. It's got a nice, you know, very nice bottle. It's pretty cool, uh, and it's from the Scottish Highlands. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, very interesting, it actually, so Glenmorangie, the company itself actually owns Ardbeg and I had no idea. Oh, very really? Strange. Yeah, it was very cool. I, and I, I don't know when they acquired them. I, uh, I always assume, I just assume everybody's owned by Diageo. <laughs> it ends up being that way. Yeah. Uh, but, but these guys are kind of cool. Um, let me talk a little bit about the history and then I'll get into this particular, uh, version from these guys. So they kind of have a longer history back to 1703 um, in terms of alcohol production where the farm is today. Uh, but back then they were actually making uh, brewer, uh, beer. So it was a brewery in the 1730s, roughly. And they used the local spring there to make all their beer. Um, and then at that point, William Matheson came in in 1843, bought it, and then opened up a distillery. And he eventually ended up calling it the Glenmorangie. <clears throat> oh man, I think I inhaled too much smoke. <coughs> it's smoky. You're in here. dying now. I'm dying. Um, and I'm I'm 99% sure, probably they have the tallest stills in Scotland. <clears throat> oh wow! Which is kind of a cool thing because in Scotland, when you talk about stills and the shape of stills specifically, there's so much going on. There's so much yeah. science and history that goes into. Who has a smaller shape? Who has a bigger shape? And how that really affects your final product. And I think it's pretty cool. So this one in particular is it's called a private edition. And it's uh, considered it's the seventh release in this kind of private edition series. And with this one, they wanted to go with something a little bit more inspired by candy shops, sweet shops, confections. And it's amazing how well that really stands out because really it is a scotch and and Obviously, it has that really beautiful Highland character to it, but at the same time, there's so much sweetness to it. Like, for me, I'm getting tons of brown sugar, uh, almost like a sweet tobacco mm -hmm. on the nose, and it, it's actually pretty light. It comes in at 40, 46%, so it, it's definitely got some power to it for sure. Uh, the difference with this specifically is they actually took ex-bourbon casks, they matured it in that. And then they moved that into flame-toasted Portuguese wine casks. Oh, that's, which is, that's a different thing. It's kind of sexy. It's pretty cool. And I think a lot of that awesome sweetness comes from there as well. A lot of that like molasses, brown sugar, uh, almost like a marshmallow 
type of flavor comes out of it. And it's very cool and one of their most exciting, I think, releases for me. Um, so I forgot to talk about at the beginning of the show. Actually, before we before we talk about this topic, um, <clears throat> we'll take a quick break to thank our, our sponsor, the Cigar Federation Store. Um, head on over to the Cigar Federation Store at store.cigarfederation.com. Um, don't forget to use your 10% off discount code if you're a member of Cigar Federation, uh, which is, of course, free if you're not a member. Uh, it's only because you didn't put your name and email address in yeah. a box. And, and, Easy. Um, but go ahead and get 10% off. I know they just got a shipment of warped stuff in this week. Uh, they got some new or some old Romacraft stuff from 2013 that's still kicking around. So if, if you haven't already ordered it, it might be gone by the time you hear this. Um, but, you know, even if it's gone, keep an eye out because they've been getting it once in a while lately. So the Ohishi is way more full-bodied than I would have expected for rice whiskey. Like, I would have expected the spirit itself to have almost no character and to just be getting influence from the barrel. But it's got a surprising amount of, uh, like, body to it without having a lot of flavor, which I wasn't expecting. Um, like, the spirit itself, you don't really taste much of it, which is weird. Like, you're used to tasting, like, the barley in scotch or the corn in bourbon oh, yeah. or the rye in rye. And this just doesn't have that. So you re- end up getting way more flavor from the barrel, I think, um, than you than you would expect. And it's got, like, a, like there's a toastiness to it. Like, you can taste a little bit of char. Um, I get a lot of leather, like sweet leather, which, um, I mean, I've never tasted sweet leather, but there's, like, a <laughs> sweetness to it along with the leather component. And then the finish is just sherry all day. And the nose, like I said before, is, is pure sherry. Um, it's, it's good. And it's got a, uh, I think it's from the sherry. It's got like a little bit of funk to it that matches up well with that, like mushroomy kind of funk that the cigar has. Uh, they're, they're kind of similar in that way. Do you notice any sweetness on the cigar? You know, a few minutes after I lit it and, and smoked through it a little bit, I got some sweetness coming through. Yeah, but not a lot. I'm trying to place what it is. It's like a, it's a, a, I mean, like my brain comes up with terms that I don't know how to (laughs) actually like verbalize. Like the thing that came to mind is it's like not a sharp sweetness. It's a more round sweetness. Um, But I don't even really know what that means. Um, I guess that it's more of a sweetness that goes across the palate instead of just in one spot. Yes, I think across the palate is a good point. And for me, to that point, actually, um, this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but the thing that it reminds me of is rosehip honey. It's kind of subtle. It's not overly cloying sweet, but it does coat the full palate. Yeah, yeah, I guess it does. Yeah, I could I could see that. I th- there's Which something really else not that, that common rose, my brain rose that I can't figure out. It reminds me of like sweet bread, like a cake or something, um, but maybe a little less sweet, like a I don't know, like a slightly sweetened scone or something like that. A bunt, That's kind of what it reminds maybe a me of. Cake? Yeah, like a, a cake or something. I don't know. <laughs> I can't put my finger on it. I feel like my brain's just reaching for things now. 
I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised with with my first pairing. <clears throat> I think it's yeah, me too. Scotch is always one of those things. It's tricky, right? Um, it's kind of like IPAs with with cigars. You really it it can be hit or miss depending on uh, depending on the cigar and depending on the scotch or the beer. Generally, with IPAs, it's more divisive. Scotch tends to be more friendly to most cigars in general, but this one in particular really kind of meshes well with the first third of the cigar for me. Uh, and Ruben Goodblood wants to know what we're smoking. We are smoking. We're we're going highfalutin this evening. We're smoking the Davidoff Year of the Snake. Uh, this is the 2013 release from the Davidoff Year of the Zodiac collection. Um, I'm not actually sure if these are from the 2013 release or not. I know the blend is, um, but we got these from Pro Cigar. And at Pro Cigar, you kind of just get a box of cigars with a bunch of different, with basically one from every sponsoring factory. Um, so I don't know if these are new production or, or old production that were at the factory or something. Um, but they're very good. I'm really enjoying the cigar. Um, and because it's, a, it's our 150th show, we decided to go a little bit highfalutin. Yeah, it fits. Um, it fits really well. We, we did want to talk about what falutin means <laughs> a little bit. I didn't look up the the definition. Did you, Dennis? I did not. I know that it's uh, right. on Urban we'll Dictionary. Um, I, I did forget to mention, since we're going highfalutin, I'm going to mention the price points of these. This Ohishi, all rice, whiskey, aged in sherry. Um, and there's actually a variant of it that's... They, they basically make two versions. This version is spends its entire lifespan in sherry casks. Uh, the other version spends its entire life in brandy casks. And brandy, to me, just doesn't sound like it would work as well, but I don't know. Um, so I'm, I, I definitely want to try that at some point because I'm really enjoying this one. Did you find out so, the meaning of pollutant yet? So I found two, two different definitions. Uh, pretentious or pompous is one. And the other one, and this is the Urban Dictionary kind of official unofficial uh groundless assumption of a higher status or affectation than actually contained i like that so i, I mean think that, 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 that fits that fits um you know put your nose up in the air get your highfalutin gears in, in motion and just make it happen did i say like i feel like i'm already getting the whiskey brain did i say how much this cost or did i hold it up and start talking about it and then never say the price I think you, you didn't give the price uh, it's it's about seventy five bucks a bottle, which which isn't terrible, but that's reasonable. You know, it's, I feel that's like that's entering sure. into highfalutin territory. Um, and I've seen it's pushing it. It's hundred bucks. Um, so I'm going to talk about my next pairing here, which I don't know how this one's going to go. Both of these whiskeys I had never tasted before, right now, um, which is surprising because this one is Aberlauer Abunad. I always get the name. I always call it Abunda. But it's Ab Abunad. Uh, so Aberlauer is interesting because they've got a uh, a varied history that differs from story to story. I'm not sure what the actual deal is with Aberlauer. Um, I know there was originally an Aberlauer distillery in 1826. My understanding, based on uh, the couple of hours of research that I did today, is that that original Aberlauer is not the same one as this. In 1879, that one burned down, and somebody, a new owner, built a new distillery in the town of Aberlauer 
uh, a little bit further up the river um, to replace the burn down one. And from my understanding, that's the, the Aberlauer that we now have. Uh, hilariously, well, maybe not tragically, might be the better word for it. It burned down again in 1898. Like, like that's nine years later. That's not a long time. That's bad luck. Um, yeah, that's just bad luck. Uh, this particular... Hmm. All right, so, so my notes just revealed something to me that I'm, I'm not sure about. So what it had said... Actually, no, now it makes sense. Okay, I got it. So this is a single cask uh, scotch. And they are aged in bourbon barrels, like most scotch, and then finished in sherry casks. Uh, in this case, Oloroso sherry butts. Um, it's said to include whiskey between 5 and 25 years old. And for a second, my brain hung up and was like, that's not possible, it's single cask. Um, but... You know they're they're blending and then putting it in the finishing cask, and then it comes straight out of the finning, finishing cask into the bottle. Um, so there is some variance in the ABV on these. Um, there's going to be some variance in flavor because that's just how aging whiskey works. Um, the this particular one, um, and it's funny because like I think it was last week that we were saying that you don't really get. Uh, single cask scotches. And this is yeah. kind of a version of single cask, but it's, it's the single cask finish. Um, I don't think it means based on my, under, my research, I don't think it means that it's, uh, that it's all gone into the same bourbon barrel and then all goes into the same sherry cask. I think there's a, uh, switch off happening there where they're, they're doing some vatting in between those agings. Um, but anyway, here it is. It's got this weird bottle that, like, I feel like on camera it doesn't look as weird as it does in person. The neck is just so wide. <laughs> uh, like, this is the Ohichi. Like, when you see it next to something, it looks a lot weirder. It like, is funky looking. I, I was telling Dennis that it kind of reminds me of, like, an airplane bottle that was just scaled up. Um, and I don't think I mentioned that this is batch number 61 and comes in at 60.8 ABV. So it, it is, like I said, cask strength. Um, and I'm going to try this out and see how it does while you, while you talk about your next pairing. What's I'm up, actually, Jerry? This is a... Uh, oh, man, let me get into it. This is real funky. I've never had this before. First, first sip ever. Um, I'm excited. For me, this is pretty highfalutin. I went out and I got myself a bottle of this Oban distiller's edition which is just i'm loving it but i'll get into that in a minute let me tell you a little bit more about it and actually trip you had open the other night yeah uh, on the show uh, i have opened a lot um <laughs> I'm, my bottle's gonna run out soon i'm gonna have to buy more luckily the price like since the last time i bought a bottle the, uh, the price has gone down by like 18 dollars last time i bought it it was like over 90 bucks and now it's about 80 it is not unobtainable for sure. Uh, talking about price, this one comes in, for me locally, comes in at $100 or $101. Uh, you'll see it ranging from 100 to about 120 which, you know, it's definitely up there. It's, it's in that falutin territory. It's at the cusp of the falutinness, but um, it's certainly well worth it. Now, I'll, I'll get into that as well. 
Uh, but talking about the history and trip, you did a phenomenal job on the last show talking about their very long, very interesting history. Uh, what I can tell you tonight is just a kind of quick recap. Um, 1794, they were founded, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. 1794, um, out in the Highlands of Scotland. And in Scottish Gaelic, Oban means little bay, which is kind of cool. And it's right there on, on the bay. Uh, there's a lock, as, as there are many locks out there. <laughs> uh, and they actually say that Oban occupies a setting in the Firth of Lorne, which sounds like this wonderful mystical place that I need to visit. Is that near Narnia, or is it closer it's, it's, to... Uh... It's between Midgard and like <laughs> Narnia, I think. On the way to Helm's Deep, somewhere around there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the way. But the thing about Oban, which is really cool for me, uh, I'm fascinated by this fact. They actually only produce 650,000 liters of whiskey annually. So talk about freedom gallons, it's about 172,000, give or take a little bit, freedom gallons, which in comparison, a lot of you Scotch drinkers out there, you know the Glenlivet. We all know Glenlivet. Yeah. Right? We've all had it at some point. They produce 10.5 million liters a year. Yeah, uh, Oban's definitely on not. the smaller side of. I mean, I'm sure there are distilleries out there that we don't even get in the U.S. because they're so small. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Oban is definitely one of the smaller ones. And the surprising thing is, um, they are owned by Diageo. They are. Yeah. And and Diageo has just let them do their thing. They just kind of run under the radar for the most part. Like, um, I don't remember if I mentioned it a couple weeks ago when I had Lagavulin. I had the Lagavulin Eight on. And like Lagavulin, if you see a movie or a TV show and they mention Scotch, you're suddenly going to see Lagavulin pop out somewhere. Yes. It's in almost everything ev- that everything. features any Scotch. Um, and Oban is like, it's it's like the best Scotch that you don't even know exists. Uh, it's a classic, a but, but people who aren't like Scotch geeks don't know that it exists. It's not the kind that you see a guy in a movie or something go in and order. And it's not the kind of thing uh, that you're going to see at somebody's house if they occasionally drink scotch. It's Definitely. the kind of thing that only serious scotch drinkers even know about, for the most part. Well, thank you. I feel special. It is, <laughs> it's, it is certainly highfalutin. So a little bit about this particular blend. Uh, I shouldn't say blend. Uh, this particular release. Uh, um, it is aged for like 14 to, years. We like to refer to it as an expression. And it is an expression. Absolutely. Uh, let me show you what it looks like too. Oh, it's a little. It's definitely a little darker than the typical. It is. It is. Yeah. Open's got uh, like that straw. It's. I love the darkness of it, and I'll get into that too. Uh, this one is aged for 14 years, and essentially what they do is after that they stick it into uh, Montilla Fino sherry casks. And interesting distinction here is these are first fill casks. So in other words, they were. They only held sherry once before, and that's it. And then they dump this in there. Um, yeah, a, a lot of times you'll see second fill, third yes, fill, stuff yes. like that, which means that they they filled it with whiskey, and then they dump the whiskey out. They fill it with whiskey again, yeah. and then it dumped the whiskey out. So it's it's given up some of what it's got to give already. The thing with first fill is you get the most character from the the secondary aging. And really talking about character, man... You mentioned it is darker than the, than the typical open that we all see, the 14. Um, and it's just insane how much 
different the flavor really is. And I think that obviously the sherry really does play into that. Um, tons of black cherries for me. Black yeah. cherry, honey, it's still got that like that smoke element. I don't want to call it a smokiness because it's not very overt, but it does have a little bit of that smoke character to it. Really, It really kind of stands up on its own. I feel like in um, most of the Oban expressions, the way you get the smokiness, like uh, we talked about it before. I don't think we talked about it while we've been on the air. I've never had the distiller's edition of Oban, but I'm guessing that it's got the same kind of character as the regular 14, where you drink it and you don't really taste the smoke. And then you swallow, and while you've like, yes. you know, your your mouth is still a little bit coated, and then it feels like you're just like your mouth just filled with smoke. It's amazing how that works. It's, it's like such a, a subtle. It is a. It's a Scottish whisper. <laughs> uh, we're just. This is great, man. This is good material. Uh, it is. Briny. It is briny, though. That's the thing that I love so, so much about so many scotches, that brine character. Well, so, and so normally that's a thing. So that's the thing that I think makes Oban particularly interesting is with most scotches, you don't get that briny element. They're getting their water from a lake that's yes. in, the middle of the, in the middle of the country um, that's landlocked. With Oban, you're getting those like high, bright, sweet notes from a, a Highland whiskey, but at the same time, you're getting like a little bit of that like briny, smoky quality of an Isla because they happen to be on the coast and they make a more like, I would call it a coastal style scotch, which yeah, Lafroy, Lagavulin, Ardbeg, those are coastal. Um, and it's not quite at that level, but it's like, it's a really good mid ground. I feel like it hits the balance perfectly. I'm really digging it. We should talk about Distiller's Edition for a second. So Distiller's Edition, what that usually means is that, I mean, what it signifies, it's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you buy a cigar that's like the Blender's Reserve or something like that. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's only meant for their consumption, but there's a very high likelihood that it started off that way. And Distiller's Edition typically means that it started off as like, well, we already make that stuff that goes into the bottle. Why don't we put some of that into this barrel and see what happens? Um, and then over time, that got more popular. So now, typically, when you see a distiller's edition, it means that it's whatever their standard product is with an additional finish on it. Um, and like Laphroaig doesn't have a distiller's edition, but that's because they have uh, the triple wood and the... What is the second one? Oh, um to the quarter cask? Quarter cask. Yeah. Um, the quarter cask is what would have been their distiller's edition, I think. And distiller di- distiller's editions are usually sherry barrels. I think that's just because distillers like sherry. Well, you know, they have to drink it first to empty the barrel. I mean, that's the crazy thing to me. Like, it's a win-win. There must, be, there must be sherry companies out there <laughs> just dumping sherry down the drains <laughs> and, and selling their barrels at a premium because of that. Because... I've I've never had sherry. I've never like seen sherry at a bar. I've never thought about drinking sherry until I started getting into whiskey, and it was like I wonder what sherry tastes like. And I still have never had sherry by itself. Dude, you need a nice wool turtleneck, the itchy kind, and a nice deep glass, and fill it with sherry and sit by a fire. Uh, I think that'll do it for you. <laughs> All right, that'll convert you. Uh, maybe I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> so the Aberlauer, I mean, we're having a sherried up night here. Um, the Aberlauer, Abenad. Um, this is a very interesting scotch. Like, it starts off with sweet and fruity, uh, like kind of raisins and... I'm trying to think of what the other fruit is that I taste. Like, I don't know, some kind of berry maybe, like cherries or something like that. Um, And then it's got like this sherry finish that's super, super long, probably because of the high ABV. Um, Like... I, I took a sip before I even started talking just now. I can still taste the sherry finish. Um, it really coats your palate. But at, at the same time, it's like, it's kind of friendly. It's not super aggressive. Like, I feel like um, if you were a whiskey noob and you were drinking this on the rocks, I feel like it would hit the spot. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's like, it's not super intense, but it's also not super mellow, but it's very approachable. How's it doing with the cigar for you? Let me let me take another pull on the cigar and see. It definitely brings out the sweeter notes in the cigar. Um, there's still a lot of that like Peloto Cubano funk, whatever you may call it, mushrooms. I, I typically equate it with like cream of mushroom or sometimes like grilled mushrooms like I was talking about with the Rose of Sharon earlier. Um, I think it, it goes together pretty well. It gets rid of a little bit of the... Uh, it Really interestingly, it gets rid of some of like the more aggressive notes of the cigar, like the spice uh, is is like completely gone after I've had that whiskey. That's, ex- that's exactly what happened to me with my second parent. All that, that kind of kick and spice just mm-hmm. disappeared and all I get is just insane sweetness and lots of biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's like a biscuit, there's um there's a little bit of like smoke to it. I'm trying to figure out what's what kind of smoke like it reminds me of peat a little bit and it, that's not coming from the whiskey cuz this is an unpeated whiskey. Um Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of Pete. I wonder if that's a Peloto Cubano. As uh, odd as this sounds, I'm going to say burnt popcorn for me. Oh, actually, that's actually a, a better a better uh, explanation of it. It is it is like burnt popcorn. Which sounds um, horrible, but it, it's meant in a really nice way. It does come out really well. So I I, <laughs> I meant to mention this earlier, but now that we're... Now that we're here, I'll talk about it for a minute. Um, and actually, before I do that, we're going to take our break to thank our final sponsor of the evening. Thank you to Drew Estate for sponsoring this segment. Um, go smoke some Drew Estate. They're they're good. Uh, Dennis, you want to highlight a Drew Estate cigar? Absolutely. This is a cigar that I recently re-fell in love with. Um, if you haven't had it, go get it. If you can find it, the Herrera Silly Miami. Oh, yeah. I, Such a that, killer that's a cigar. a cigar that I like forget about a little bit. I think a lot of people do, but they're still out there. Go get them if you can find them. It's worth it for sure. Yeah, that was a, that was a good cigar. It was, and it was really cool. I really enjoyed seeing like Willie return to El Titan de Bronze. Yeah, and like some history there. 
that, yeah, that's what made him, and that's where he started out making cigars. Um, and I, so I think it was just there's a really cool story behind that cigar. Um, and it was I was also very surprised that like I I wouldn't expect Drew Estate as a company to go out and have another brand make their cigars. Like they they have a partnership with Hoya. It's a strategic partnership. Yeah. Um, so some of their cigars are made by Hoya, but I, I didn't expect them to go out and and have it made by a third party factory that they're not involved with normally. So yeah, that's that's a good pull. That's a good one. Um, so I was talking about the Piloto Cubano before. So I went to a blending seminar this weekend. Oh, that's uh, right. Up, up at uh, Broadway Cigar of Camus, just just north of Portland in Washington, Camus, Washington. Um, it was pretty cool. It's a thing that, like, I wish that I could buy one of these kits for every single cigar that I smoke because I would just nerd out about it. <laughs> and I would get, like, I would spend five hours smoking every cigar because they basically, um, so the, it, was, it was a La Aurora seminar and they took the ADN, which we featured on the show before. If you haven't seen it, uh, go check it out here. Just kidding. I'm not going to put the link there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, I mean, if you haven't checked it out, go check out that episode. We really enjoyed that cigar. It's really unique. It's got that Anduyo tobacco. Um, but they basically had the entire filler blend broken down into Peritos. So you had a Perito of each tobacco that's in there. Which, I mean, I've done that before. But usually it's more of a, like, you have to be in the factory smoking Peritos. You can't just buy Peritos. You can't be like, I wonder what this tobacco yeah. tastes like. Or I wonder what Oma Tepe tastes like. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and I was telling somebody there about, well, I'll finish my story first, but then I'll get back to that. Um, but it was really cool going through the five different tobaccos that make up the cigar and learning about each one. And then uh, at the end, you smoke the cigar by itself. And I should have brought the box out here with me so that I could show it off. But it was like this little box. It had a lighter and a cutter. And then it had the ADN, but then it had the five little Peritos numbered one through five. And it was, it was just a really cool experience. And I mean, if, if you have the chance to go to one of those, I would highly recommend it because it gives you a, a way better insight into what you're tasting um, so that you can differentiate the notes of in, individual tobaccos. Like differentiating the notes that you taste in a cigar is one thing, but being able to say that it tastes like this because... It has Piloto Cubano in there is uh, really fun for me, which is weird. But like th this is one of those cigars where like the Yamasa leaf that's in here, I really want to try that leaf on its own. I'm very curious what it tastes like. Um, but anyway, I was telling somebody about how at Uncle Leo, like Uncle Leo did the, the test on us. Like we walked <laughs> yeah. in and he, he had somebody make us some Peritos. And then hands them to us, and it's like, what do you taste? And then, yep. like, it was like, uh, I don't know. And then, you know, smoke a little bit of cigar, and then I, I don't even remember what the tasting notes were. It was like, it's a little bit spicy or a little bit sweet Lines. or whatever. Yeah, and he, and he was just like, ha-ha! And, the, and then we were <laughs> off to the races hanging out with him. But, yep. like, he had to give us, he was one of the guys, like, he's old school tobacco, and he had to give that test to yep. make sure you know what you're talking about a little bit and that you can at least like uh, figure out what something tastes like a little bit. And then he um, gave us free reign to 
basically walk around and pick whatever we wanted to smoke. Yeah, that was so was cool. Killer. Uh, like, like I felt weird in that situation because I could have just walked around there for ten hours and been like, oh, easily, smoke that, easily smoke that, smoke that, smoke that. Um, but instead, you know, we we restrained ourselves a little bit and picked a couple tobaccos, and then uh, we had him kind of blend us a cigar using tobaccos that we chose that turned out to be pretty good. And it was like, I mean, we don't have cigars that we got to bring home, um, but it's kind of cooler just having the experience of, of rolling them fresh off the Pallone. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And just to hang out too, you know, just a couple of guys just sitting around tasting different tobaccos. It's an experience that uh, if anybody, if you guys ever have a chance to do it, take advantage of it because your smoking from that point on will change drastically. Yeah, it it really changes how you think about tobacco when you're when you're smoking a cigar. Like, um, in in just the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of like posts on Facebook and stuff like and Reddit and stuff like that about people who are like, when I smoke a cigar, all I taste is tobacco. If you smoke, if you taste anything else, <laughs> you're crazy. You're just yep. making stuff up so people pay you or something like that. And it's like, no, that's not really how it works. You have to, you know, I mean, your brain does associate things in a certain way. So people are going to taste different things. But being able to translate that into a coherent thought is the part that's hard. Being able to taste things like if you taste it and you say that just tastes like tobacco, I guarantee you're tasting four things that aren't tobacco. Yeah. And you're just not able to turn those into you're not able to verbalize it. Um, But. When when you do something like that, it really gives you a different mindset for it, where you really start to pick out what makes specific tobaccos different from each other. All right, so I'm going to move on to my last pairing now because we've been we've been chit chatting long enough. Um, I brought out the big guns for this one. This oh, is yeah, Octomore. If I can get it in frame there, um, Octomore is. So th- this particular bottle is special to me and I, because when I found out what Octomore was, I said, I need to own a bottle of that. And the entry level for Octomore, like the very, the low entry point is about 150 bucks. Um, more, more frequently they're around 200 to 50 for a bottle. It's not cheap stuff. And, and I got a promotion years ago and, and decided that it was finally my turn to own one. So I, I went out and bought it. Um, so the story behind Octomore is basically they want to push whiskey to its peat limit. Um, so I used to have, I don't think I have it in my notes here, but I used to have a chart, um, Lagavulin, no, sorry, Ardbeg is peated to about 65 parts per million. So parts per million is how many phenols are, um, for every 1 million molecules that are in here, about 55 of them might be 65 are in Ardbeg are phenols, which are what gives the, I'm actually misrepresenting that a little bit. It's actually in the barley, not in the, in the finished product, but it's, uh, it indicates, it's an indicator of how much peat smoke actually permeated into the barley. Um, so something like, uh, I'm trying to remember what the low end ones were. I think something like Highland Park is about 20. Something like Lafroig is somewhere around 45. Uh, something like Ardbeg or Lagavulin is closer to 65 or so. This is um, 
they're also kind of the only ones who specifically reveal the exact PPM of their releases. This one is 167. Which I know since insane. then, it's insane. Since <laughs> then, they've had one that's over 200. I got to get a bottle of that. This is the 6.1. It's aged in, it's aged for five years in bourbon casks. Um, it's a really interesting thing about Octomore that they, uh, they, age it for only five years, which is really, I mean, as far as like high end scotch is concerned, that's nothing. Yeah. Um, like that's, that's one year further than the minimum. It's not a lot. Um, and they do have expression. So I've tried to decode it before and it's impossible. So this is the 6.1. They also have a 6.2 and a 6.3. There's some point fours. The only thing that is standard is the the barley bill, um, the barley in the six, the barley in the seven, um, all of the sixes are going to have the same barley, which means they're all going to be 167 PPM. Um, <clears throat> but they're going to be aged a little differently. So I think the 6.2, I believe is, uh, I believe the 6.2 is finished in sherry barrels or wine barrels or something like that. Uh, I think the the point three is usually, but not always, uh, aged for an additional few years, like either seven or ten. And then the point four, I think there's only one or two point fours, which are basically where they. Um, <clears throat> so you'll see this says Scottish barley on it, so that means that it's it's barley from Scotland. Um, so they've actually got their own barley farm on Isla that some of their their Octomores are actually made with their own. Isla barley instead of Scottish barley. So it's just, you know, specifically their barley instead. Um, but they peat it to the same. It's like the whole thing is kind of an experiment <clears throat> just to see how the whiskey turns out. Um, and what I found previously is that this whiskey is nowhere near as intense as it would, as you would think, like it doesn't like bowl you over with smoke. It just, it has a ton of smoke, but then it balances out with sweetness. So I'm going to take a couple sips of it and see how it does. Oh, I, I should mention this is bottled at cask strength, 57%. Um, Brooklotti is one of the smaller distilleries. They make about 1.5 million liters or about 400,000 gallons of whiskey a year, which as we talked about before, that's kind of peanuts yep. compared to a lot of the bigger ones. Um, they most of their whiskeys are actually unpeated, even though they're on Isla. But then their Port Charlotte series and the Octomore series are both uh, just kind of like peat, 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 peat all day long. Um, and they've got a couple different versions. Uh, really interestingly, they've got uh, their Port Charlotte. They actually make a Scottish <coughs> barley and an Isla barley version. Um, and then, as we've talked about before, of course, they make the Botanist Gin, which is yes. one of my favorite. It's very so exciting. I love bottoms. Because um, I feel like I've been talking a while. My <clears throat> cigar has probably gone out. I'm going to take a couple sips, relight my cigar, and let you talk about your final pairing. Yeah. My last pairing is... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. My last pairing is actually... Uh, it's not a scotch. Uh, not even a whiskey. My last pairing is... Strangely, not even it's a, a Not even a spirit. It's a beer. Which is weird, because you think, well, highfalutin, what, what are you going to do for beer? Well, I have a source, <clears throat> and uh, I'm gonna not going to disclose the name of my source, but I have a source that 
managed to get some fresh product into my hand. And uh, I'm very pumped to try this with this cigar. And this is a favorite beer of mine. And many people out there probably love this beer. Uh, none other I've than... I've never had it. Oh, crap. You've never had... Oh, I'm going to get you a can tomorrow. Um, Heady Topper from The Alchemist. Which, if you talk about a little bit of, of IPA history, this is, I guess, kind of that OG hazy crazy ipa this was kind of like the standard this mm -hmm. is the beer that people went nuts for and uh i actually haven't even opened this yet if you're wondering normally we open our beers and we pour them out and let them kind of warm up a little bit um but if you've ever had hitty topper you know you want to drink it from the can and you want it to to keep all those delicious oils I in there th that's one thing about hitty topper that i don't understand is drinking it out of the can instead of out of a glass you know what? I've taken the Pepsi challenge on this, and I can tell you the can works. <laughs> okay. The can totally works. It's it's weird, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pop it open now, um, and I'll tell you a little bit about kind of what where they're from, what they're about. These guys are from Vermont, Stowe, Vermont, and um, they got kind of wrecked a little, little bit with the with the storm. There was a what was that storm? Let me check my notes real quick. I don't know what the storm was. Um, but while, while you're looking that up, I'll talk about my Octomore a little bit. Um, yeah, the Octomore really brings out the spice in the cigar again. Really? It's okay. It's interesting. Cause the Octomore, like I said, I'm surprised by this whiskey every time. Cause every time I expect it to be a total peat bomb and on the palate, it kind of tastes less peaty than something like Ardbeg, but it's because it's way more balanced. Ardbeg is mostly peat with a little bit of sweetness. Um, this is like even parts sweetness and peat, even though both of them are amped up so much. Um, even though it's 57%, like it, there's not a lot of heat to it. It's, it's got kind of that like viscous quality, that oiliness in your mouth um, that, that you typically get from the Isla kind of region. And, it's it's completely brought back the spice. It's killed the sweetness a little bit, um, but I get I get way more spice than I was before. Interesting. So I, I did find it was a uh, tropical storm Irene that flooded them out, and this was kind of right at that point where uh, they just started canning. And so I think it was about oh, two days after, two days after the flood of of the brewery and the shutdown. Really, they. Um, they released the cans and up until that point you could only go to the, the brew pub and you could only get it on tap and they only used to brew it twice a year that's it when when they put it on tap do they pour it into cans for you <laughs> well the can the can craze happened after but um it was weird because they got this like crazy following because at the time nobody was really making a uh, an ipa of this kind of caliber Today, we see a lot of IPAs that are in that same range, like just super I mean, oily and intense. Hetty Topper created, like, if you've ever seen an, a Northeast IPA, which, like, if you see it on a beer menu, it'll be yeah. any IPA. Hetty Topper it was the original. Absolutely. They, they were doing the really crazy IPAs when people were kind of like, well, that's weird. I don't know if I want to drink it. And um, I think it really converted a lot of brewers and just general beer drinkers to this more intense IPA style. And that, of course, flourished into this, this massive revolution that we had over the last couple of years. 
Um, but they originally started canning back in 2011. And it was weird because before they were canning, people would go to the place and they would get, uh, you know, they, they would order it on tap. And they would take their glass into the bathroom and pour it into bottles and cap the bottles and take them home. <laughs> and that was, like a, that was like a thing people did, which is crazy. Um, and it, it's insane because they, they had this crazy following. Even today, if you go to Vermont and the places that do get Heady Topper, there's a list on their website. Uh, and it's all scheduled out. And they'll tell you on Tuesday and Thursday we drop off product at you know whatever place. You have to get there first. And I think I mean, these hoppers the kind of thing that like people will be waiting in line outside of a grocery store. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen keep. it. It's insane. But the thing about a heady topper that really kind of makes it special for me is the yeast that they use is kind of proprietary. Sort of they they don't share it. I think it's called I think they call it heady yeast or maybe topper yeast or something like that. Um, but this is a yeast that the the, the owner or the brewer <coughs> excuse me. He got back uh, in the 1980s in England, and the guy that he got it from was like, just don't tell anybody about this. Keep it to yourself. Don't share it. And it turned into this kind of mythical creature where people were killing themselves to get this uh, this beer. And so I think it kind of fits into the, the highfalutin sort of spectrum. I think so. Be- being a beer that um, that <clears throat> there's not a single person in the country who could just be like, I feel like Hedy Topper and buy one. Um, that that doesn't exist. Uh, I, I guess maybe if you're local to the brewery, but generally speaking, yeah, there's nowhere that that anyone can just walk into the store and buy it. Um, so I mean, it may not be crazy expensive, but it's uh, it's, it's just valuable. hard to get. And and uh, you know, even there was a lady back in the day. She was, I think it was 2013. She was selling cans on Craigslist. And the cans were going for like eight hundred dollars. Oh, she got arrested. Yeah, of course she got arrested. But that's where it was, you know, back then, years ago, before this revolution happened. IPAs were insane, and this one was at the cusp of that, which is wild. And of course, they make other yeah, beers. Um, the the other beers that they make are actually really good as well. Um, maybe not as well known. They make a focal banger. They make uh, Crusher, which is really popular. I think you had focal banger on the show once, right? <clears throat> Yes. Yeah, I did. Okay. The name just sounded familiar. <clears throat> well, well, I'll let you take a couple sips while I talk about mine. Um, man, it, the play together on here is so good. Like Octomore, every time I try it, I'm amazed that it's that a, any cigar <clears throat> can stand up to it because on paper it's going to overpower every cigar. Um, but it ends up being like this nice, clean, enjoyable whiskey that is. It would be challenging for somebody who's uh, who's not experienced with scotch. I feel like most people would probably drink it, and it would just be like overload your brain with flavor. Um, but for me, it it ends up being way more balanced than you expect it to be. How's the heady topper pair with with the year of the snake? You know, it's uh the sweetness comes out a lot. And so oddly enough, being that it's heady topper, I'm not getting a lot of that hop bitterness with the cigar. I'm getting a lot more sweetness. And so it's actually surprising. I was a little nervous about the pairing. Um, surprisingly, it's, it's pretty good. Um, and they're I'm also, noticing... uh, Sorry, yeah. go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was going to say they're also kind of weird in that um, technically on their website, they only list 24 purchasing locations where you can get the stuff short of going to the brewery, which I think just opened up again recently. Um, but where they distribute, for example, in New York, if they distribute to a bar that will carry Heady Topper, they have a very strict rule. Basically, if you buy it in the bar, you have to drink it in the bar. You can't take yeah. it home. You can't do anything with it. So, kind of weird mythical thing about Hitty Topper. So, the thing that I'm noticing when I'm smoking <clears throat> this cigar with the Octomore, the, uh, the Octomore like really coats your palate. So, if I take a sip of the scotch and then I take a draw of the cigar, I end up with this... Uh, I end up getting an intense sweetness from the cigar... That's very surprising. And like a, a floral flavor. Like it's really floral compared hmm. to the way it normally is. Um, and I think that's like, it's that pairing phenomenon where it, you taste things that aren't really there because of the pairing. Yeah. That happens all the time. <clears throat> and I think I'm losing my voice actually. <clears throat> that's what happens when you do two, two shows back to back. It's amazing to me still that I'm getting almost no hop character from the Heady Topper. Do you think that's because of the cigar or is that <clears throat> the nature of the beer? No, definitely not. I mean, Heady Topper is one of those beers where you take your first sip and you know what it is. It's unmistakable, especially if you're into drinking IPAs on a regular basis. You can really tell the difference in the profile. Um, but I do think that maybe my first two pairings, because they were on the sweeter side, and the cigar itself is kind of sweet for me, those are playing into it as well. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I really like about Octomore, like, like I said, it has that intense peatiness, um, but you don't taste it as much on the palate because like, if you take a sip and you hold it in your mouth, you get like that <clears throat> mouth warming and like, it feels like it turns into syrup because it gets so oh, yeah. sweet. And then you swallow and then suddenly the peat's there. And it's intense That's, uh, in a good way. You're, we're going back to the Scottish Whisper. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's a Scottish Whisper. I'm gonna I'm gonna move rotate back through my pairings here. <clears throat> See, like I feel like the Ohishi might taste like water after two cask strengths. <laughs> Got just in a row. But no, it's still got that like. It's just a kick of sherry. Like, if you if you like sherry bombs, this is like a sherry thermonuclear bomb. Like, there's so much sherry in this. It's ridiculous. Um, but I think that's because the spirit itself has so little character that it picks up everything from the sherry cask. And you end up with so much of that sherry flavor. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like I can't believe I haven't had this whiskey in my cabinet all these years. I need to get some. It's worth hunting down, I think. And I'm gonna take another puff of my cigar and rotate over to the Aberlauer. For me, going through going back through my pairings. The kind of the Oban and the um, Glenmorangie is kind of like 
they're almost on the same level at this point mm-hmm. in terms of, of the body, very full bodied, very thick, syrupy, sweet. And with the cigar, you know, being that I smoke fast, I'm pretty much at the end of my cigar. So it's getting a little bit stronger, a little bit hotter. And I'm getting more of a, um, I almost want to say like a chocolate with fruit. So like a cherry chocolate or a uh, chocolate covered cherry. That's actually probably the better way to put it. Um, Intense sweetness, really intense sweetness. I I can like, um, it might be the Aberlauer, but I can, I can definitely taste the cherry in the cigar. And you know what? I have a feeling that it could actually be the funk from the, the Piloto Cubano because as it heats up, the profile changes, right? And, uh, you know, in the green room, we were talking about the beginning of the show, sort of it has that kind of saison quality to it in terms of funk. And that always changes when it warms up, just like yeah. a saison in a glass. You get a lot more body. Here's a question for you. Yeah. Um, would, you would you pay $30 for this cigar? That's the that's the MSRP for this. I think we forgot to mention that at the top of the show. I mean, uh, having tried it or never having tried it before. Having tried it, after having after tried it, moment. yeah. So having tried it, yes, I would. I, agree. I actually would. Um, th- this is on the mm-hmm. same level for me as like the uh, the Atabay that we had a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, and we were raving about. Um, this is on the same level as that. I think. And generally speaking, I'm not a I'm not a huge Davidoff smoker. Uh, I do like a lot of Davidoff cigars, but for me, like this is a cigar. If I saw it in a shop and I had the chance to buy it, I probably for like ninety percent I would buy it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and like, just save like, it, you know, save it for special occasion. It's definitely a special cigar. Yeah, before smoking it, I'm not sure I would have made that decision. Um, just because I feel like a lot of Davidoff is. <clears throat> you know, you're paying you're paying thirty dollars for a twenty dollars cigar. You're paying fifteen dollars yeah. for a ten dollars cigar. Um, but this one is so good. This is one of the best Davidoffs I think I've had. It's probably my favorite Davidoff, honestly. Um, well, I, I think it's it's not quite at the same level for me as the Master Selection, which uh, I think we're probably going to have on another show because we we also got one of those and a Year of the Dog cigars. So I think we're gonna. Yeah. He's saving those two for future episodes of sharing our pairings. Um, but I, I think the master selection for me, for my palate at least is a little more like it's got a little more of that, like uh, robust roughness that I like. Um, and this is like just super elegant. It is. It is it highfalutin basically. Mm-hmm. It fits perfectly for that. Yeah, it really does. Um, and I think part of the thing I'm finding is that it, it just goes well with scotch. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of scotch. Oh, ab- absolutely. It goes well with Absolutely. It. So now that my palate is rested, I had to, I took a sip of the Aberlauer before, and it was like, I can't even taste it. Because <laughs> right after the Octomore and the Ohishi, like, it was just all peat and sherry in my mouth. So now that I've had a little time to rest, I'm going to take another sip. <clears throat> yeah, 
Yeah, I think for me, the Aberlauer's got a little too much heat for this cigar. I feel like it kind of blows it out a little bit. Um, the Octomore, I just can't believe it goes so well with a like, I mean, this isn't a full-bodied cigar. This is a medium-bodied cigar at, at best. Definitely. But full-flavored. It's got a lot of flavor, but it doesn't have a lot of body. Um, and the flavors aren't... Uh, the flavors don't jump out at you, necessarily. They're, they're the kind of flavors that you got to look for a little bit. you got to spend a little time with the cigar, like settle into it and, and focus on it. Um, so what would you say is your, your favorite pairing of the night? That's exactly what I'm trying to figure out. Man, I feel like the Octomore at 57% is just so dangerous. <laughs> so drinkable. I've got to say the Octomore because the Octomore really, um, I feel like this sounds like a weird thing to say, but it supercharges like all the flavors in the cigar. Like I get more of that Pelota Cubano funk, that, that mushroomy kind of yeah. creamy flavor. I get a little bit more spice. I get a lot more sweetness off of it. Um, And I mean, the only thing left that, that doesn't really like get kicked up from the Octomore is the woodsy kind of flavor. Like there's a, an oaky cedary kind of wood, woody flavor to it that uh, ends up hiding in the background a little bit with the Octomore. But I think, I think the Octomore is my pairing of the night. If you if you are a Scotch guy and you've never if you're a Isla guy if you like peat yeah. and you've never had Octomore, go try Octomore. It's uh, I mean it's like the next weight class of peaty whiskeys. <laughs> I hope I hope that they make an affordable version of this someday, because I can't afford to drink hundred and fifty dollar bottles of Scotch all the time. Yeah, <laughs> most of us can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My pairing of the night. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with this open. That's that's definitely it for me. It's I, got I that like crazy. Get some. It's good, man. It's really, really good. The black cherry with a little bit of the salt. Um, it's got that funk to it that really fits with the funk of the cigar. That's the sherry. Oh, definitely. That's the sherry is that funk. Um, and that's, I think, the, uh, the thing about Ohishi is that it's it's all that funk. Um I think I think it doesn't work quite as well with the cigar as the Octomore. Um now that I've I've tasted the Octomore next to a bunch of sherried whiskeys, I feel like I need to try a sherried version of the Octomore because I know they're out there. Um but like if you're looking for sherry, go for the Ohishi. If you're looking for Pete, go for the Octomore. And it's it's not just peat, it's peat and sweet. Peat and sweet. Peat and sweet. All right. Well, I think I think we're about to wrap up our episode. So thank you everybody for watching. Tomorrow night we're going to have uh Juan and Bill from Cabaro Caño, better known as Protocol Cigars. It's gonna be a silly show, I'm sure. Amazing, amazing show. I'm looking forward to I, it. I think it's gonna be great. Uh I'm gonna make some old fashions for myself. But I'm ready, ready to keep up with Juan a little bit. Um, we're gonna Finger smoke, sir. We're going to be smoking the new uh, official misconduct, which I'm, I'm very excited to try that. I, I haven't smoked one yet, and I'm going to smoke my first one during the show tomorrow. I can't wait. Um, so make sure to tune into that. 
Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you to all of our Armed Forces Radio Network listeners. Uh, we appreciate you guys out there doing things we're not built to do. And, of course, thank you to all of our podcast listeners out there in droves. Everybody have a great weekend. Have, stay safe. And we'll see you next time. And I almost forgot. We want you to drink better, but we want you to drink less. <laughs>